At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Today, I am completely honored to have Nathan Phillips with me. Nathan is a former volunteer firefighter and is one of the first responders that responded to the Humboldt Broncos horrific tragedy and has suffered ever since. Is that fair to say? That would be, yes, pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. Um, what started you as a, as a volunteer firefighter? Like, what were you doing? Um, like, cause you're a farmer, right? Grain farmer? Yes. I'm, I'm a grain farmer. That's a closer. Um, yeah, that's my, my main job was a grain farmer. And I guess I had a few other on and off jobs over the years, uh, working you know, sort of some oil field in the winters and, but just always wanting to, to be a farmer ever since I was a kid. So, um, yeah, I joined the fire department when I was about 30 years old. Um, prior to that, like I said, I was just working, I wasn't around Tisdale enough all the time to where I could say I could commit to always being on call and being available. So it just kind of, I kind of joined up when the time was right. Um, that was around 2006, but just prior to that, I'd actually tried getting into the armed forces. Um, sorry, I'm a little nervous about <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Here, let's do an icebreaker. There, we're good. There, a little guitar. That's good. Uh, ice, ice broken. <laughs> I always thought you had a guitar in studio and, and started shredding on it when that came well, on. Well, I've been thinking about learning that. Uh, I mean, I can't play the guitar, but I, I got to learn to play that one tune so I can do that. That's a really good idea, actually. That that that's going on my to do list right next to learning French. I'm going to learn how to do that guitar riff. Um, so yeah, so I, I tried joining the armed forces in, I think it was around '05. I'd applied right when things were starting to to kind of pick up in Afghanistan. And I think it was just at that point in life where, um, you know, you need to, I was starting to feel like I was living a soft life at home in, in uh, Canada, um, wanted some, some bonding experience with some, some, some men, some other guys, and the armed forces would be a good way to do that, kind of a high-intensity environment, and just wanted to, um, yeah, do, do my part to make the world a better place. And so, yeah, I would got, as it turned out, because I got Crohn's and some hearing loss, I'd ended up getting denied, which was disappointing. Really wanted that, but um, yeah. everything's for a reason, though. There you go. Yeah, and everything's for a reason. I went to college for two years to be a cop, and um, graduated, had good grades, everything else. But there's little voice inside me that said, "This is probably a really dumb idea." <laughs> and because uh, even though I had no idea I had PTSD, uh, somewhere in me, somewhere in the subconscious, knew that my cup is already full, and I best not. <laughs> keep filling that cup so somehow my spirit saved me and uh, it's the same thing with that with instances like that you know uh you tried it out because it really wasn't the armed forces you were looking for it was a sense of contribution and purpose and tribe yes and right yeah doing my part to to be grateful for the life that i was given and the opportunity and and that was it and so yeah like you say every you know everything kind of works out for a reason and i wouldn't want to look back and say i wish things were done differently in my life because this is where i'm here today and there's a there's a way to yeah to to move forward with it and, and yeah yeah still make the world a better place, but but I want to say it was interesting when uh, when I was when I was when I was applying for the armed forces the psych the interview I guess you do the in person one mm-hmm. the lady doing it she said that was a after the interview she said yeah that was a really good interview Nathan probably the best one I've had in a year but you forgot one thing and and it's like well I couldn't think of it well it was, she says the defense of Canada. but because we live in such a great country where there isn't fear of of some foreign you know, whatever it is, occupation or, or just civil war that I completely, that blanked my mind that I, because we, we got it so good here in Canada. And that point really came across when she told that to me. Yeah. And we do. And you're exactly right. Um, we live in a geocentric bubble and people talk about privilege. Well, <laughs> the, the privilege of peace is probably the greatest privilege at all of all and uh, of peace and freedom. And people tend to take it for granted when they have no memory of, you know, not even a genetic memory, uh, not even epigenetics, uh, where they can remember a time where 
they didn't have what we have. And this is one of the reasons that people are that do have that memory that that are aware have been so upset over the last two years, you know, because they see things that other people don't see. Other people are like, well, what's your problem? There's no big deal. You know, quit your whining. This is no biggie. And yet there's others that uh, see it very, very differently. And and we won't go down that rabbit hole any further than that, but um, it's a big long conversation, and we'll and yeah, not not within the scope of this show. So, no. I yeah. uh, I do my best to avoid that conversation. But um, so, so yeah, so I yeah, so after I got um, yeah, so I said, well, okay, well, I, I'm not going to get into the armed forces, so I will just um, do my part to be a good citizen here in Canada and and help out where I can. So, um, about a year after I got denied, um, my wife, uh, we'll call her my wife because we weren't married right then, but we got married after our first child was born. Yeah. So that meant, yeah, I was going to be in Tisdale year round. And so I joined the fire department one week and my local kinsman club the next. It's a national organization. And I said, I'll just, I'll contribute this way and, and be a good person. So that's how I, yeah, that's how I ended up on the, on the fire department. And uh, how long did you serve on the fire department, all told? It was 11 and a half years up to the time of the Broncos accident. So I've been on there quite a while. And uh, yeah, I had a pretty good feel for everything. And uh, I, was, I was enjoying it. It was a nice fit where um, you could still sort of say it was that physical demand. It was a um, little bit of adrenaline once in a while when you got to jump out of bed at whatever, three in the morning or middle of the day. But you, you learn to just sort of manage it and and a lot of the calls ended up being resolved before we got there. And, and also I should point out very, it'd be like a low volume fire department, like volunteer departments are all different. Every, everyone's going to vary a bit. Perhaps if you're along the trans Canada highway or busy intersections, you're going to, you're going to see a lot more vehicle accidents or um, if you're in a sort of a, no offense to any small villages, but if you're in a sort of a sleepy area with a lower population, it just goes to show that there won't be, won't be as many calls. Versus, say, a community of, of seven or 8,000. Tisdale's 3,500, so we're kind of right in what would be maybe considered an average. Which is still a tiny village. You know, Okotoks <laughs> isn't big, but it's, I think, 40,000-ish. You know, forgive me if I'm wrong, Okotoks, sorry. But, um, you know, and there's still not, not much action here, but there's enough, you know, especially with the highway. Uh, that's where most of the action happens is, is the highway. But... On that, uh, is there any way to guess how many calls that you would have been on in, in those years? I, I want to average, um, or I, I want to guess that maybe every year, uh, maybe something like 15 times a year, I'm, I'm guessing is all I got to, and probably I made it to half the calls. Um, like with the volunteer department, we didn't have a set schedule as to who would be available. There was, say, 20 members, and everyone was just available all the time, but... Um, luck of the drawer, whatever you want to call it, not everybody was available. Typically, there would be about eight out of the 20 that could come at any given time um, on a moment's notice. And then if there ever happened to be a shortage, just send out the second page and people who were kind of a few minutes out longer or didn't think they would have been there could, could show up. But but that's just how a lot of departments work. It's just everybody's on call. Now, it's volunteer, but you still get paid something for your time, don't you? Yes, we get paid to time. Well, in my department, we got paid to be at the practice, which was twice a month. And then you get paid for your time when you went to the calls. But the volunteer part comes in where you voluntarily were on call to just carry carry a pager around back in the early days or, yeah, be set up for getting text messages uh, with the more modern times. And what's some of the scope of training that you received during that time? Uh, there, was, there was some fire training schools you could go to or departments would get in-house training. So I would have gone, there would be the basic one, I guess, which was, yeah, like a, pretty basic and then there would be the scba self-contained breathing apparatus yep same thing as scuba except without the underwater part sure and then just some yeah vehicle um to do with the the fire trucks and the operation of the pumps and and whatnot so it wasn't a lot of it mandatory like i mean most it's um yeah a lot of it you could learn in-house too anything beyond standard first aid for medical we did take a first aid but in every place is a little different but in saskatchewan uh, there's not a lot of the way the way the ambulance, whatever it's called, EMS is set up, or ambulatory service. Maybe um, fire departments typically don't do the medical side of things, which I think is the opposite than than say like a city like Calgary or something like that. But it's just different arrangements. So yeah, we we took a standard first aid, but rarely applied it. Right, because it just didn't just wasn't part of the scope, no. uh, pretty much. 
Were you doing like Jaws of Life and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, we had, we had all the toys. It was a good, good, uh, well set up fire department. Like not like an aerial ladder kind of toys or anything like that. But uh, no, we had we had what we needed. It was a well well funded fire department and the Jaws of Life. Yes, yeah, to peel people out of the cars like a tin can. And when you're doing stuff like that, especially in a district where you know your neighbors. You know that that must uh, be an extra stressor because when you're just when you're pulling a stranger out of a car, that's one thing. But when you're pulling your neighbor out of a car that you know and you just had coffee with at Tim Hortons last week, that's that's something else entirely. Yeah, there were some there were some uh, right after I joined. There was a couple of really bad ones that involved fatalities, and um, yeah, I just I just feel bad for the whole situation. Sure, and yeah, I got some some built up stuff in me still. And well, that's um, yeah. that's, that's just human, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like of course you do. Yeah, and I so I wasn't at those calls, but yes, it was very involving for the members that were were there at those ones. Yeah, people don't understand the um, sacrifice of doing those jobs because you remember what you saw and the pain and the suffering and the loss of others and. Um, Families getting ripped apart because uh, one or more of their family members aren't there anymore. And what that does to a family when uh, a child loses a parent or a parent loses a child, either way, it's it's a horrific thing. Or a husband loses a wife or a wife loses a husband. Um, And... When For most human beings, that's something that they might endure once or twice in their life. But even as a volunteer firefighter, you know, there's a, a call or two a month, and those add up in a heck of a hurry. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's yeah, it's it's the, you know, it's one thing to see someone, well, it's it's, it's, it's all the same, but I mean, yeah, we're, we're similar. We're, someone's banged up in a car accident, and you see them in physical pain, and you feel bad for them. But yeah, same thing with with uh, with the death because you know that um, there's there's some people that are going to hurt that goes along with it, and it's okay. I think as a that's what everybody needs to know that it's okay to feel that grief that that goes along with with the job of first responding. You know because um, it's it's necessary. I mean, yeah, it's a tough job to to do that and help people in their darkest times, but um, and you got to put on that tough that tough face or that that tough uh, put apart the emotions for a bit, but. Uh, when they come out, I think that's where a person really needs to embrace it and process it because that's part of the package. With the training that you did, was there any preparation uh, whatsoever for mental resilience or trauma recovery or anything to mentally be prepared for the calls before and after? That's That would be a no. Um, <laughs> a hard no. <laughs> do, yeah. you find, do you find that hard to believe? <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, not shocked. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think, and it's, it's, I think it's one of those things where how to, um, and this, I mean, it's this whole, whether you want to call it industry or movement or awareness around, around psychological well-being is it's, it's been a long time in the works. So yeah, we didn't, there was, there was never any of that. I think it was just sort of briefly said, yeah, you, you deal with things as they come along. And, and until, especially on a low volume department like Tisdale, where you, we maybe averaged one fatality every year and a half when, and our, even the, the vehicle accidents, I want to say maybe six a year. Um, it just, there wasn't a huge demand to say, let's, let's try and address this or, or be preemptive on, on any, any psychological issues. But I will say, I guess, I guess because I had such a strong interest in the military, even since a kid growing up, I would bought this book um, after my kids were born. So probably around Oh nine. And it was written about um, some Afghanistan experience yeah. around that Oh seven. It's 15 hours, right? 15 days, 15 by, days, yeah, Christy, Bla- Christy Blatchford, 15 um, days. Yeah. I was hoping to have got her to sign it, but she passed away a couple of years ago, I think. So, yeah. So I would read this book cause I was just really interested and I'd watch the news watching, uh, I guess for my own well-being, how, how do these soldiers deal with uh, battle and death? And you watch some of these ramp ceremonies and you think, how do they manage to get through this or how do they push through a battle? And so you kind of listen to what they had to say and they just said, you do the job at the time and the emotions just kind of disappear. You get the job done and deal with it after. And I, I always thought, how is that possible? But I realized that now when I'd, I'd read this, so this was kind of one of my preemptive training here was this, just this one paragraph in this book, it had to do with what their commander was saying. He, uh, talking about how after, you know, the soldiers had gone through a battle. So, so he says, so, um, so this commanding officer says, so he always warned the officers that after an IED, which is 
improvised explosive device or an ambush, they better make damn sure the soldiers involved sit down and talk. If tears, if tears are shed, good. A soldier who does that will be fine. The guy who thinks he's tougher will degrade, degree by degree, and in three or four years will be useless. So I took that advice to know that, you know, when the time came, that if uh, Canada's, you know, some of their hardest hitters are shedding tears, then that's what I should do when the time came. The um, so-called tough guys, and this is well-known in militaries around the world, uh, regardless of the conflict, the ones that people think are the tough guys because they uh, uh, just grumpy all the time and they're a bit of a bully and kind of a dick, they never fare well. And when the bullets fly, uh, they're usually the ones ducking for cover and uh, curled, curled up into a ball and can't fight. That's well documented since Roman times. The reason that they are curled up um, coming across when it's not hitting the fan as a tough guy is because they're putting on an act so that nobody ever discovers that they're scared inside, that they don't feel like they're good enough, like they don't feel like they, um, they've got the parts. These are the big talkers. Okay. They tell you how tough they are <coughs> or how they'll kick your butt and uh, the bullies of the world. And that's, that's never changed. And that's, and that's exactly what that paragraph is saying, too. Um, story after story after story. And I've seen it myself, too. Um, I think after I read, you know, some of that and just sort of you learned that, yeah, people, uh, you can, I, I just had this belief that I could, I could walk into whatever life threw at me, but the same thing is you had to deal with it after. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's maybe some of the personality that you need for, to be a, 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 any type of first responder, military veteran, you need to have that sort of a risk-taking, I think, personality or somewhat of aggressive, aggressive nature to say, this is what I want to do, and let's, let's find a challenge in life and, and not back away from it when it comes along. Well, when there's a physical trauma on the body, there's very often no pain immediately. You know, a, a person can be shot and not realize that they're shot, that they have a hole in them. And because um, the body is just in shock and uh, you're just carrying on with what it is that you have to do. And then once you have uh, finished doing what you have to do, all of a sudden, oh, I got a hole in me. And then the pain starts. It's the same with, um, with, with, other, with traumas, with um, PTSD. A lot of times people are just numb. They don't feel a thing. And they're not upset or sad. They feel nothing not scared not anything and that numbing feeling often lasts a great long time and is one of the reasons that people do cutting just so that they can feel something so they cut themselves it's one of the reasons uh so many people get tattoos because of the pain just so you can feel something uh or getting into a fight so you can get punched in the nose so that you can feel something because the numbness is just unbearable but it's the same numbness, except uh, with the um, trauma injury, as opposed to a physical trauma injury. Um, sometimes it can take years and years before that wears off. And when it does wear off and you can feel again, you feel it all and the dam breaks. And that is why so many people avoid uh, therapy and other types of recovery because they don't want that dam to break. It's just safer that way. Well, they think so, but what's happening is that the water keeps getting higher, the pressure keeps go- getting uh, more and more and more, and it's going to break at some point. Yep. And uh, the, the earlier, the better. You know, uh, the longer you let these things sit, the worse it gets. One, one thing I found was I would even avoid trying to feel good, trying to find joy mm, and, and happiness guilt. and searching out, searching out uh, just, just trying to have a real bunch of fun because that seemed to open up. Like I was trying to, I guess, settle guard or a level of emotion that I would feel. So that meant I couldn't open right up and really have a good time and enjoy life because that meant I was opening, taking that guard down and then I would feel pain as well, I guess we'll call it. And yeah, just that sort of that self-defense mechanism, I guess. Are there parts of, um, let's talk about the Humboldt crash. Yeah. We- Are there, um, and hey, remember, uh, the rule is you can say pass, you know, if you want to tap out, tap out, and and that's okay. All right, uh, we don't have to get in, into any gritty details, uh, but it's what is whatever is within your comfort zone. 
Yeah, no, I, I'll, so if I'll, I push too far, you just let me know. No, you, or if I go too far, let me know. I mean, I, <laughs> I'll I, throw, I'll throw my coffee at you. Okay. And I, I know, yeah, I think like I, I've, I've been telling myself that I've worked through so much of the trauma from the accident that it's now kind of at that narrative stage. I mean, I'm probably going to start crying and I, I got no fucking problem with that. I mean, <laughs> showing emotion is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of courage. And, and that is, that is something that still, yeah, a lot of people have trouble with, but, um, I think if anyone, yeah, who wants to have a problem with me crying on the show, get a hold of me afterwards, and we will we will discuss it face to face, or we'll have a good long conversation, whatever. I, I've yet to hear of anybody making fun of anybody for that. It's just uh, processing emotions or a sign of overwhelm, yeah. and that's perfectly fine and and perfectly natural. Mm-hmm. So, so, so where where were you? Um, when you got the call for the crash? I was actually being a farmer. I was, I was augering canola into my grain truck right then when I got the page. So I just shut off, shut the, shut everything off and hopped in my, my pickup and went to town. I just live half a mile out of town. So I'm actually closer to the fire hall than the people that live on the North end of, of Tisdale. So yeah, I just, I just shut everything off, went to the fire hall and uh, hopped in one of the trucks and away we went. And oh. did you know, what you what you were going to when you when you got in the truck or was it uh, did you sort of get some of the details on the way there? I think the page had said just said semi and bus collision or something very vague, mm-hmm. just a quick page and uh, so yeah we we took hit the road and I think it took about twenty five minutes to get there um, to the accident scene. So by the time we were on the on the way there, um, kind of had it figured out or maybe enough information that came back that it was the Humboldt Broncos team. And I kind of had guessed at that because um, I'd sort of been following them on the radio a little bit. Uh, so I knew that they were headed up to Nippon roughly about that time of day yeah. um, for, a, for a game. And I'd, I'd actually, I'd driv- I drove charter bus a little bit, one of my off-farm jobs, and I'd driven bus for the Broncos about 10 weeks before the accident. And um, So you knew these kids? Yeah, you know, the team's a team. I didn't really, yeah, so I knew the feel of the team. And after the accident, uh, there was a lot of talk about, you know, how, how they all gelled together and what a great team they were. And you look at, uh, like, Darcy Hogan, he he, uh, he was a nice guy. I had a good visit with uh, with Darcy Hogan, Mark Cross, and Dana Bronze. They were the staff on the bus when I I'd driven them. So they always have a bunch of time while the team's loading up the equipment to to visit and whatnot. And yeah, they they were very nice people and had a had a good thing going with that club. Everything that you heard that was positive about that the, the Broncos was was very true. And yeah. I I got to feel it uh, when I drove for them. So so yeah, so I'd kind of listened to the radio and knew they were going up to that game. So. So yeah, pulling up to the scene of the bus crash and, uh, and there's, yeah, it's just, I mean, you can look, you, you've seen the pictures and whatnot and, and, and it was a pretty big mess. And, and I start, you start walking up and see the, I saw the, all the hockey bags spilled out of the bus and right up until that moment, anytime you hear Broncos, I was thinking, yeah, it was, it was a good feeling, that reminder of, of what a good time I, I had with them and how well they treated me. But then it just did the quick, the 180 of like, wow, this is just really bad. And so, yeah, there was maybe sort of that personal touch to it for me um, going up to that scene. But I, uh, yeah, definitely that, that probably threw an extra loop for me, but I, I kind of, I pushed through it and, and uh, yeah, participated in, in helping. By the time you got to the bus, were, were there any other first responders, cops there? I guess there was one cop car. I didn't focus on that, but I, the, the, okay, so the, the, there was probably 40 or 50 bystanders or passers-by as they're called people that had came along to the accident scene and stopped to help and and uh well they didn't sign up for that that morning when they got out of bed no that's for damn sure like if you want to see heroes it was those uh those everyday folk i i, I really admire the compassion that they showed and the, the care and whatnot for for everybody who was on that bus both uh you know the ones that survived and the ones that were were deceased right there that's just a huge, huge shock for anybody to, to come upon. There must have been people just paralyzed by shock, just in zombie mode. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, and I, I, I spoke to one of the one of the one of the passersby a, a few times after the after the accident there, and she said where she, where she was sitting helping one of the players. She said everybody who walked onto that accident scene, they just walked up and then they went into slow motion and just everybody had the exact same look on their face, whether it was paramedic, police, fire. Just, just complete shock and awe. Yeah. 
And, uh, yeah, I certainly remember walking up to there and a little closer, Nathan. And, uh, yeah, just walking up to the accident. And, and I, I actually had to, I, I think cause I had, I'd going from such a good memory of the Broncos to, to what was the reality of, of their situation right there. I, I do recall having to sort of step away for a minute, probably five to 10 seconds and just look away, have a little conversation with myself, um, to say, which way am I going to go on this? And then, yeah, turned around and went right in there and started, started helping people um one thing that was interesting was uh yeah so tisdale our two fire trucks were the first ones to show up and then i guess there was one one police vehicle there um i only remember what i need to and and i will say there's there are some minutes out of that hour of the first hour that that i can't account for sure that's just um yeah that's just like i guess a normal thing the brain remembers what it needs to and some things are locked away and uh, so be it I was bothered by that for quite a while afterwards because I'm a details guy and it's like, why can I not remember everything? But I've just accepted that's the way it is. It happens all the time. All the time. It happens to me too. Yeah. And I was, I was, so I was really fighting myself on that one. Why am I a capable, intelligent person, but I can't recall everything. But I just said, that's the deep, dark gray cloud I've got in my head instead. And we'll just deal with it. Um, So yeah. So um, yeah, walking up into the accident and having a look around and just that, really feeling of, of a member saying to myself, holy, if some ambulances don't start showing up, we are fucked. Because there was just so much for, for one fire department to try and do. And uh, so after a couple of minutes, I'd, I'd, I was under the roof of the bus, kind of assessing things there, seeing, seeing, who's, who was, um, seeing what was going on. And when I stood up, it was just a wave of relief because there was um, Nippon's fire trucks, there was ambulances all over. I think there was more police, but I just remember that feeling of helplessness washing away from me. So a lot of ups and downs at the accident scene of various various emotions, but I think that's where that that sense of team effort really got got driven into me was right then and there. But how long do you think you're on that scene? I think it was an hour, um, I'll say, just from <clears throat> gauging, from having to talk to some people about when, when I would say from the last surviving player was, was transported off by ground ambulance there. Um, and then probably another half an hour after that, um, helping with, I guess, what's called the recovery stage. Did air ambulance show, uh, show up as well? Actually, they didn't quite get there in time. I'm not sure the full details. There might have been some delay getting out of getting airborne or something like that, but that was the thing too. Like every every survivor off that scene, um, uh, pretty much left. They left by ground in ground ambulance. So, just the the uh, admiration I had for the paramedic after that was just yeah, that was new to me too, because we don't always work that very often on my department with with paramedics or police. Like sometimes, well, you know, we don't always write the same thing because. Police and paramedics aren't needed for grass fires or house fires necessarily, but but right there at that scene, it was like wow, I really, really came to came to admire the the career choice or the that that the paramedics made or the career that chose them, whichever one. And uh, so yeah, that that was a that was an amazing feeling and and uh, realization for me as well. Did you know any of those families uh, on the the on the bus? Um, I didn't. No, I oh, I shouldn't say that. Yes, yes. Um, there was one. Yeah, his name's Miles Shimlaski. They lived half a mile from the accident scene. So yeah, I'd known I'd known uh, his his dad for years. Did you know any of the kids that died, or any of the people that died at all? Um, no, because they're Humboldt's an hour and a half away from Tisdale. Okay, but uh, as it turned out, I'd, I'd actually got chatting with with uh, one of the visiting. I got to know yeah some of the families since then, and turns out I'd driven bus for one of the boys that was on there um, on a. Six years earlier, I think we figured out on an overnight hockey trip. So I I'd, kind of remember talking to his dad six years ago, but it took a few months until after the accident to kind of put that together. So that's that six degrees of separation you always find everywhere in the in everywhere. Of all those bystanders, were any of them friends or neighbors of yours that you knew? I knew I knew a couple of them, so I made sure to uh, to stay in touch with them after the fact, just because I wasn't sure how many. What, what sort of support that the passers-by had as far as people to talk to. And I, I just knew that it's good to talk to people, so I wanted to also be available for them. And uh, and it was good for me. It was good for both of them. And I, I kind of ran out of people to talk to. Um, about 10 days after the accident, some things went on with my own fire department. So I was really kind of wanting to make sure that I could still get what I needed from others, and but at the same time be giving them a safe place to speak and acknowledge. Are- did any, um, eventually, did any peer support groups grow out of this? Uh, I don't believe, 
there are probably, I don't know, some things I think were already in the works beforehand, but as far as peer support, no, nothing fired up in the Tisdale area or Nippon area uh, as a result of the accident, which which is too bad because there was, there was clearly a need for that, and peer support is a good, really good thing. And whether peer support is just finally beginning to grow in um, awareness over the last few years, uh, but it just it never happened in Tisdale or, or in the area as a result of the accident. Do you think if one was a startup now, people would show up to it? I don't know, four years later where people would be out on that. Um, well, let me know if they will, if they would. Uh, I, I would come to Tisdale or, or wherever in the area and uh, uh, spend a day or two showing people how to do it. Okay. No, I think there's definitely a need, and I think, uh, yeah, things in time, this will this will grow. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think there was a, right at, I remember there was a time right at the beginning when it was during our diffusing, we were sitting around, this was 24 hours after the accident. We were sitting around and um, and, and doing this diffusing, and I'm like, this is this is great. We are showing emotion. We're here together. This is what we need to do. And I said to myself, this is something we'll do every every other week here at the fire hall. We'll have a barbecue. We'll have whoever wants to come from wherever, and we'll just hurt together, heal together, and we'll figure this out. But in the end, some things kind of got derailed with my plan, and uh, that never happened. And yeah. no one else, did. The, I guess, obviously wanted to do the same thing. People just wanted to isolate. Yeah, and I think it's such a, I think a lot wanted to get back to just their regular routine and regular life, just different different strategies altogether, the ones I did talk to. Some would say, I just want to block it out of my mind, or I want to stay busy, and I don't know, whatever whatever works for, for each person. So tell me about your relationship with that fire department post-Humboldt. Um, it's, it's um, yeah, okay, so I've had a lot of negative thoughts around that whole issue, but I'm gonna, I think I'm at the point now where I can, I can speak positively, because I can see where some changes can be made to happen. But yeah, so, so we did did this diffusing 24 hours after the accident. I did a couple one-on-one sessions with some, some of this, this peer support, the group that came in, which are peers, people who are trained in, in, in the peer support and that, that type of SISM intervention. SISM is critical incident stress management. Um, took me a couple of days to memorize that one after the accident. Probably wasn't <laughs> soaking in too much. Infra- or it was just overload then. But so, yeah, so we did, a, did that and, um, there was another bunch of speakers came in about five days after the accident. Um, yeah, one of the one of the fellows who's a military veteran from with the PPCLI, he came in and spoke and said the same thing. Everybody just said, "What's his name? Do you know Jimmy? Jimmy Sinclair?" Yeah. Hopefully, there's nobody looking for him out there. But uh, but yeah, he's a good guy, and, and he so, is a good guy. So yeah, he came in and spoke, and he said, uh, "Yeah, he just same same message for everyone. Process what you're feeling. Don't think you need to pack it away for 20 years because people have tried that and it just doesn't work out. <laughs> it sure <laughs> doesn't. And so, so I, I I took took the advice of him and everyone else who spoke. And it's like why why create why recreate the wheel each time? Why reinvent it? So I thought I'm not gonna I'm gonna listen to what people are saying, follow their advice, and just let emotion flow when it needs to, because because they're and and I really had to step back from what I was feeling. Like so a couple couple days afterwards it's like okay you look at the worldwide um show of support and whatnot and it's like okay no matter what i'm feeling or whatever maybe i want to minimize because i think as human nature we sometimes do that and and so i said i'm just gonna take advantage of all the resources that are here right now instead of waiting i'm going to be proactive instead of reactive so yeah i i showed a shit ton of emotion at these diffusings and at these places with speakers because that's what you're supposed to do and and we're told that it take it showing showing emotion uh, is not weakness; it's courage, and um, it's okay not to be okay. And it's the people that aren't speaking out that you should worry about. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do all these things that I'm supposed to, so that because I know that's what I need to do, and then no one's going to worry about me. But unfortunately, um, about that didn't quite work out that way. Uh, my train of thought was different from some others, and yeah, things things went sideways in a hurry. Um, Turns out that there there was judgment and there were some some repercussions for showing emotion. And about ten days after the accident, I was informed that my name had been taken off the paging list, and I didn't really understand why that was. So I had a, had a good conversation with with one of these ranking members, which, um, yeah. And and I got to say, on a volunteer fire department, if you're a ranking member, it doesn't necessarily mean you're the best person for the job. It just means you're 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 there sometimes because some everyone else is busy in life or there's there's different different reasons just like any workplace maybe the people at the top aren't the best ones there uh but 
And, and I guess I always thought with these volunteer fire departments, it's just mostly administrative work because rarely do you ever have to deal with, I found, uh, personnel issues or, or anything like that. Everyone just kind of minds their own business for the little bit of time that we're together and carry on. So, yeah, so I'd, I've been taken off the paging list without without my knowledge and any, any discussion with me, and it turns out it had been taken off five days earlier, and I still hadn't been told about it. And that really hit me hard because I'd been hanging on, like after the accident, I had to, had to find something... It's a strange thing to say, but I just I had to find some good in it, and and not just focus on on the bad. And so I said, "Well, okay, I guess I can focus on on the lives that were saved, and also that that amazing team team effort of of everybody that was there." Did they ever give you a reason or an explanation for why they took you off the paging list? Yeah, as it turned out, it was based upon the recommendation of these the SISM these SISM members, these peer support group that came in. They had actually said and that, yeah, that Nathan should be taken off the paging list until these ranking members decided that it was safe for me to be put back on the paging list. And did, did they give you any kind of a recovery plan or put you towards help or counseling or therapy? It was, well, here's the thing is like I'm, I was doing fine. Um, the issue was because I'd shown this emotion, everyone in, 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 well, 43 years old at the time of the accident, not very, I think that scared a lot of people when a 43-year-old middle-aged man decides to start crying in front of his, his peers and fellow fighter fighters or in a, in a small auditorium with a bunch of people he doesn't know. But it was like, I'm, I'm doing this because I want to set the example for others. And two, I know that's what I need to do. Because anytime you can shed a bunch of emotion, you're not carrying it around. Even mm-hmm. if it means there's things you want to say to people and tears come out at the same time, if you're holding back those words because you don't want to show tears, well, that's just two things that are going to slow you down <laughs> if you don't let them out. And so, yeah, so I was doing fine. I never missed a beat in my regular life. Like, I mean, I still my uh, took my kids to, you know, made sure they got to school. I still went to the parent-teacher interviews. Four days after the accident, I had a child custody access and assessment interview, I think it's called, because there was a, my wife and I had split up a couple of years before the accident, so there was some ongoing um, dis- disagreements there with the kids and whatnot. So yeah, I still had this, this that's a fairly tense thing to go to. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. That was four days after, and it's like, fuck it, I'm not, I'm not counseling, counseling this appointment. I told myself that I wasn't going to let the Broncos accident affect my life in a negative way, so I was doing everything I was supposed to. Went back to hauling my grain, so then when it comes out of the blue that I'd taken off the paging list without any discussion with me. It's like, well, this is, I just thought, well, this is, this is BS. Um, well, not, especially without any discussion, that's just yeah. not right. If, if there's a problem, if people have a problem with me, they should talk with me, not about me. Yeah. It's leadership one-on-one. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's, that's what everything's supposed to be about is, is open communication, integrity, honesty, all that stuff. And it was a little kind of lacking um, after, after the Broncos accident, especially, Actually, yeah, and it turns out there was a couple of other guys taken off the paging list too. So, I mean, that, that's a big thing. All of a sudden, you start taking 20% of the firefighters off the, the, the roster or off the page paging list. Well, then, yeah, you're, you're down a bunch of people all of a sudden too. Like, it should have been a pretty big, open, honest discussion, and it wasn't. So, yeah, so I'm like, well, this is, this is BS. I'm not, I can't let myself get treated this way. So, as soon as I kind of I told this, this guy that's ranking member who was breaking the news to me, I said, well, no, this, is, this isn't how you treat people. You got to put my name back on that paging list immediately, offer some quick apologies to these other guys too, and let's get back to being a real fire department. This isn't how you treat people. And it just, he said, no, we'll, we'll put your name back. Pretty much just said, we'll put your name back on when we feel it's time. So I can't change how people treat me. I can only allow whether I allow it to happen. That's all I can control. Yeah. And so, um, so as soon as, you know, it's like, okay, fuck. So I'm just feeling everything. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling confused and it's all, you know, just, it's like, what is going on with all these emotions, but no energy to deal with it at the same time. Cause I was coming off this high of this amazing teamwork that we were on and just feeling really good. And after the Broncos accident, it was just a roller coaster of up and down and trying to process emotions and everything. I can't even explain that to anybody. I can barely even explain it to myself now, but the mind is just running in different directions, but still making sense of things. Um, I probably don't need to explain it to you or, or too many of the listeners. It's just the. Uh, it's just kind of just a lot of stuff going on. So, so yeah. As soon as I found out that the, he they weren't going to put my name back on, it's like okay, well I can't. 
I can't uh, heal in this from the Broncos accident in some type of judgmental environment where I'm expected to withhold emotion as it comes along because you got to let that shit flow when it's right there. And so I went down to the fire hall and I wasn't going to make a fuss because that doesn't, that doesn't do good for anybody. I didn't want any drama. I didn't want any conflict. Um, so I just went down to the fire hall, cleaned out my locker, erased my name off the whiteboard. And, and that was that never texted them or phoned them and said, I'm done. I quit. It was just like this. They will get the message here that I am clearly not happy with the way I'm being treated and, and fix their mistake. And yeah, if you, a couple of days went by and I got a text message from one just saying that, yeah, you know, we didn't want you to quit, Nathan. We're sorry. And it's like, okay, good. They don't want me to quit. They'll fix it. I'm a valuable member of of the town and of the fire department. And, and uh, yeah, never happened. Never happened. Never, never, they never corrected their actions. Some cheap talk, but, but nothing was ever done to fix a mistake. And I think it was just, yeah. Too, too too hard for I don't know difference of difference of opinions and we're still having a difference of opinion this issue is not quite over and I ended up developing a, a psychological injury as a result and so not only did I get taken off the paging list there was some healing events that came on came, that went on a few weeks later like there was a really big concert in Saskatoon there was a luncheon afterwards next day to meet the families and those communications came through the fire department, but they didn't pass that on to me. <laughs> they felt that since I'd, I'd quit or cleaned out my locker that I didn't deserve to go to those, those healing events and that hurt. But I'd found out about it luckily through Zen and Park fire department. Cause I'd gone up to area. It's a lot of moving parts, but I'd gone up to Nippo one, two weeks after the accident, they were having a training school. It was already planned in the works and they said they're going to follow through with it. So they, they were just, there was this training school. So I went up there just to socialize with them because I didn't want, um, anytime I hear the name Nippon and fire department, I didn't want to relate that just to the Broncos accident. I wanted to relate it to having a good time with some of these normal people and just having different conversations and some lighthearted laughter, fun things. So that was sort of me being a way of reframing or substituting or just adding on to the whole the whole experience of, of the Broncos accident. And yeah, so while I was up there, Zen and Park said, well, well, Hey, there's this concert coming up. Why don't we got extra tickets? Why don't you come with us? And so that was just a, a good feeling, that kindness of them saying, come with us. But same thing, I'm sitting at the concert with them. Uh, this is, this is a big arena with 10,000 people where it's all about feeling the love. Yet I look over and there's, there's all of Tisdale down there. Um, with their wives and everybody knew about it, but nobody thought, you know, but there I am still separate from this community that I've lived in my whole life, this department I've been on for 11 and a half years, and they didn't want me sitting with them. So it was just a whole whole other uh, bunch of stress thrown on top of the Broncos accident and and everything to do with, the, you know, there's there's the Broncos accident, then there's this extra BS that went on, and it's just all intertwined at the same time for me it was just just a lot and it's interesting you, uh, so I was trying to measure it and I think I'd, I'd figured out months later it's like what am I feeling some days because I was just really off am I feeling sadness and grief about the accident or am I f- but then a lot of the time I'd be feeling anger and frustration and low self-esteem at the same time so I really started to measure and it was equal amounts of, of the traumas I was feeling from the way I was treated and and I'm like okay I think I'm feeling three times more than just the accident alone and it was interesting because on one of your previous episodes, Mark, you'd mentioned that there's studies that say that you throw a sanctuary trauma on top of a regular one and it can multiply the stress by up to 10 times. Something like that. Yeah. What happened there, first of all, you deserved better. The gap in, in what happened there, Nathan, wasn't about you. It was about a lack of leadership. You deserved better. They did not provide better. You deserved more respect. They did not give you that respect. Everything that happened that you've just described is an absence in leadership and decency. And you are the victim of that. What you experienced can be wrapped up in one word. Abandonment. You were abandoned. The people that you trusted, the people that you cared about, who you would do anything for, they cut you loose because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to deal with when they, when they see you being emotional. They, they didn't know what to do with that, so they did nothing. 
and you were abandoned, and it's fucking wrong. Yeah, and it, it really, yeah, and it, it hurts, especially after like an accident of the size of the Broncos. Anybody should have been able to show and feel whatever they wanted without any any judgment. I mean, especially if if we're being told, and the official narrative is uh, showing emotion is courage and not weakness, then it shouldn't have been an issue. But it was, and that stigma that's that's out there, it reared its ugly head. Sure did. So yeah, so I've been, yeah, it's like a sanctuary trauma, and I'm gonna, I should read the definition of that that's that's been determined. It's a sanctuary trauma occurs when an individual who suffered a severe stressor next encounters what was expected to be a supportive and productive environment and discovers only more trauma. Further stressors worsen the issue. You know, and I'd, so once I I went for a full over a year wondering like what what the heck is wrong with me? Like I I wasn't experiencing it wasn't PTSD because I. I was experiencing a lot of the same symptoms that, that those transient moods, moods, you know, the roller coaster, um, trouble concentrating, loss of focus, loss of interest, and, and just, just, just the rage, the sadness. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm not PTSD because I'm not having nightmares about the accident. I'm processing that. But it was this, this other trauma that I'd incurred. And it just, it went on for a long time without, without being diagnosed and checked. And I, I just didn't know what to do. A lot of went into a period of low self-esteem, wondering how how can it be okay that I be discarded so easily, and and I mean obviously did I have some, and I'm not a very egotistical guy, but did I have some kind of a high, did I see myself more valuable than I actually was, you know? But it was just just a whole mixture of emotions that I didn't need throwing on top of the Broncos accident. Well, that was not your fault. I realize that now. Yes, and that's the bottom line. That was not your fault, Nathan. It really wasn't. It's a horrible thing, and I, I don't want that to happen to anybody ever again. So I'm kind of, I'm finally, I realize that a lot of my healing um, is going to come from from uh, working towards, well, I, I still got to get through my own issue as far as getting this WCB, Workers' Compensation Board of Saskatchewan, claim for psychological injury accepted. And I think through some of that, there will be an opportunity for some change um, at various levels of within government and first responder community. What's the first avenue that you took to try to uh, get some help to find resolution and healing from all this? I actually went back and spoke to a counselor. I spoke to a counselor once after the Broncos accident. Then I went two years without speaking to a counselor again. So I went back to this original one just to try and say like, this is what's bothering me. And, and yeah, so the, that was my first step. I finally went back to counseling after two years, but others before that, it's like, I don't know what to do because it was just, such a new issue to me. <laughs> and I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody should need to know how to, how to deal with, with what I have had to go through. It's and, surprisingly common, yeah. unfortunately. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts to this regarding some of the sup- mental health support in the province and some organizations that are supposed to be a responsible voice and leadership for firefighters. So, but I'm not going to get into that. There's a whole lot of pieces to it, but I, I, uh, yeah, I got a lot of work to do yet, but I can see what my purpose is. If I've lost some sense of purpose and belonging after not being on the fire department and really, yeah, I ended up yeah dropping out of my volunteering the Kinsman a couple months later because it was just putting me, putting me right directly with some of those, some of the firefighters and you're in the community. It's just like, this is just not good for me. Yeah. So I started isolating and, and really withdrawing big time avoidance after that, just to, just to avoid being triggered. And that's not healthy either. Nobody should have to do that. So. I know a lot of my healing will come from working towards some some change. How did you come across this show? I got lucky, just like with a lot of things uh, <laughs> that that came my way. And I think it was through yeah. Well, there, there's one of these guys that's that's part of this PPCLI group that's taken me in. Um, lives in Tisdale, and and so he yeah he, he can you share his name? His name's Sheridan. Sheridan okay. Ellingson, he did a tour over in Croatia around 94, sometime around the same time you were there. So, yeah, so here, there's that. Yeah, it really, really it has been good getting to know him a lot more and uh, just, just having someone locally that I can go run into once and in a while. And he introduced you to the show? He mentioned it because, yeah, because he knew Mike Rude, who was also okay. on the show. And then there was this peer support group that I go, started going to that was also lucky through. Michelle spending, McKeveny? Yes, also through spending yeah. time with Sheridan as well. We went to a veterans walk. I can't remember what it's called. Veterans Walk one time in, in uh, the fall of 20. I can't even, everything's a blur the last couple of years. But it was, yeah, it was about a year and a half ago. And so we, uh, that's when I got learned about this peer support group an hour and a half away for, from where I live in Prince Albert called, um, 
called Win. What's important now? So I started going to this group regularly, and it was kind of through that that I heard about your podcast and 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 yeah, just started listening. And it's it's been good for me because I had really felt really felt alone for the longest time and just not knowing what to do. But the the material, the content that's been on your show has been been fabulous for me. So, <laughs> um. You said that you had felt alone. So when you when you're listening to the show, did that help you not feel alone? Yeah, because yeah, I think yeah, because after like after the accident, the kids the kids were with me still, and and then a bunch of shit went 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 south for me, where I just was not being um, the, the kids. I was just not being a me, and um, just the the no ambition and lack of emotion, and I just wasn't outgoing. So and there were still the ongoing custody issues. And in the end, the kids went to go to go live with their mom, mostly t- full-time, two hours away. So yeah, there was a big, big shift in my regular routine about two years ago, and uh, maybe a year and a half ago, fall of, yeah, that was the fall of 2020. And so, um, yeah, I'd, I'd gone through a real rough winter, that, that previous one. And so about the time, yeah, that I started listening to your show, I'd also quit consuming alcohol, about a month before just kind of not needing to do a repeat performance of the previous winter. Cause I don't think I'd have, I'd have lived through a repeat performance. How and, much were you drinking? Uh, it was only that three to six beer a night. Yeah. Probably five nights a week on the nights where I felt like I had a couple of days where I feel really good. I just wouldn't bought, I didn't need to drink on those, but it was a three to six beer a night. I did have, that's some, where I was when yeah. I quit. And, and that's, that was just the crutch that I was using to get through my loneliness in the evenings or whatever, I'd felt throughout the day and, and it just wasn't a good one. It was enough that it, it clouded me, clouded my thoughts the next day. It just, it was a whole, whole lot of things, but it, it's, it snuck up on me kind of, but at the same time I knew it wasn't the greatest, but it was all I knew on how to feel better. And it, it was just so wrong, but I still did it and didn't care. Cause that was, I was just saying, this is what I need to do for now. And, uh, but yeah, it just, it, it probably went on for too long. Um, yeah, but, but you caught it before it became uh, twelve to fifteen a night. Yeah. You know, and that—that's what happens. You know, it—it it, it just grows slowly, and then all of a sudden, holy shit, I'm a raging alcoholic. You know, and uh, but you caught it early. I caught it early, and and plus with what I do with this show, I can't have a drink. You know, uh, I never know when I'm when the phone's going to ring with somebody who's in distress. So I don't drink because I got to be on the ball. Yeah. Oh, and it just, it's, it's, it was a huge step. It was after this past summer of summer of 2021 where I, I just, I'd kind of quit giving a shit about thinking I could move through this, this, this mental injury or I said, I need to just take some time to feel good. And yeah, it was just, that was a summer of, uh, I'll call it a heavier than average drinking and whatnot. And, and then once the school year started back up and the kids were going to be at their mom's um, after the September long weekend, I just said, I just kind of woke up one day and said, this is, this is the day I need to, need to quit and I need to make that conscious choice of just really focusing on getting well. And a few weeks later, yeah, that's where I'd heard about this podcast. So I did a couple of quick listens to it and it's like, holy shit, this is fantastic. And so that's how I would start my day off. Instead of waking up saying, fuck, my house is empty. My kids are gone. I'm lonely. I'm a loser and all this stuff. I would, coffee's brewing, get the computer fired up. And that's how I would start my day is being part of a conversation with people listening to what you got going on and knowing fully well that there was however many, I don't know, other listeners out there doing the same thing. And that's, that, that gave me connection. And I heard some really good things on, on your show. And uh, yeah, it, it's been, it's been instrumental in getting me to where I am today and yeah, getting me through this winter. Well, it can't suck too bad. You've listened to all of them. <laughs> I did everything. Like even, even the ones where stuff that I wouldn't be interested in. I think there was one the other day to do with started off about, you know, brass jewelry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but that wasn't what the conversation was about. And I learned quickly on, it's like, no, you listen to everything. Uh, there was, uh, I think an Olympic athlete, uh, or, or two was on here and they, you, you pick up some good analogies out of, out of everything. And like, like they would say, like if every Olympian knew that they wouldn't get to the finish line or get a goal, would they still compete? And the answer to that is absolutely. It's that's life. You give it your best, whether you get everywhere, get to where you need to or not, you, you're, you're giving it your best and that that's a fucking win in itself. It is. It's um, it's about the work, not the trophy. Yeah. You know, 
And, and that's, that's everything. That's the, the healing journey. That's life. Um, people like to, especially in today's culture, they like to avoid the work. Oh, that's too much work. Hey, you should write a book. Nah, it's too much work. The work is the reward, not the trophy at the end. Embrace the work. Uh, in the army, we used to say, embrace the suck. And if you talk to any army guy, the all the best stories were about the crappiest stuff. You know, uh, five days with no sleep, uh, living in a mud hole. Well, who, who's got stories like that? Well, we all do. You know, all, all the army guys, especially infantry, you know, we can all say that we've done that. But um, that's what sets you apart is being able to overcome the shitty stuff. Yeah. If you want to, yeah, and if you want to, if you want to, we can maybe get back to some of what I guess we'll call the shady stuff. We got a little sideways there uh, when we went, started talking about the Broncos accident. Um, but yeah, that's why I'm t- kind of, we you turned a squirrel loose here today and we're running all over the place. But yeah, the Broncos accident. So yeah, it was, it was just, um, there was a lot of, lot of things going on at that accident scene. Um, there was a few, well, I mean, everything, everything was really bad, but I, I know right off the bat when I first walked up there, it was, I said to myself, this is going to hurt a lot of people. And I didn't mean just the ones on the bus. I meant like the broad families, the friends that like everybody. And, uh, and not just me, I think is I just see big picture. I feel big picture and I felt it right there, mm-hmm. but same thing. I was, I, I figured out a way or my body did to just put that away and, but it needs to come out after and without any barriers. And so, yeah, but yeah, so, so yeah, at the accident scene, there were, there were some, there were some things. I mean, I, I don't know how much detail I want to go into, but I mean, you well, look at... Actually, I think we covered it. Okay. And, uh, and where I took you from there was um, the aftermath of that socially with okay. the fire department and then the beginning of your healing journey. And, um, you know, and, and that's, that's important too. Okay. So f- from the show, what takeaways did you take that were helpful in healing for you? I think just realizing that uh, that that I'm not the only one who who's had an issue as far as not not getting good treatment from employers or coworkers, and that that just really made me made me realize there's nothing there isn't anything wrong with me. Mm-hmm. There's there's a, there's a system that's that's a pretty widespread system um, that needs to be that has has room for improvement. You could say. Yeah, and that and that's a rapid thing in uh, in EMS. The the paramedics in in Alberta, they know well the damage of poor leadership, and they're and it's very well known, you know, w- within this province, and the damage that does to your people when you te- treat your people like they're just warm bodies and in numbers instead of human beings, uh, that's not good. After the Humboldt crash, um, instead of helping you and supporting you, they did the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. When you're drowning, they, they stuck your head underwater. And that's wrong. You know, when, when your brothers and sisters um, need help, you give them help. You ask them, how are you? What's going on? Let me understand. What do you need from me? How can we support you? That's a, what a leader does. That's what any decent leader does. But instead, they're like, "Oh, don't know what to do with you, so we'll do nothing. Yeah, which, we'll, we'll just ignore you because we don't know what to do with yeah. you." And that's just cowardly and wrong. It's it's um, yeah, so much for nobody gets left behind. Yeah, it was the exact opposite of that. It was cut you loose, and it was bullshit. Yeah, and and I mean, the only way that I can find to to bounce back from that is to do my part to 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 try to make sure it doesn't happen to anyone else, or if it does, I want to be there for them. Why not? But yeah, it's, it's, it really boggles some people that I'm not dealing with PTSD. I was able to work through that and process um, what went on in my own way, in my own definition, and in a lot of time. But it took a lot of time because I'm also dealing with this other issue still. Um, so but, what are you doing now to keep yourself level? What are you doing for self-care? I am just probably not enough some days. It's still a big learning process, but like, I mean, here I am right now. I'm out in Alberta, Okotoks, um, loaded up my car, came for a trip with the snowboard and had a good visit, stayed at my a friend's house. He was a, a former RCMP member for like, I think 20 years and um, dealing with a mental injury himself. And so we've, we've got that, that good connection, that good understanding, that good empathy. And that's just what I need is to be around like-minded individuals that make me feel good. 
Um, yeah, I get back, like it's when I'm around home, there's just too many. So did you hit uh, a ski hill? I did. I got out to, out to the, out to sunshine for a couple days. Oh, you picked a good one. Yeah. It was snowing really good and had, had some nice snow and I, it was interesting. I get, I get going down. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I pick, pick the black diamonds and the trees and whatnot. That's where the best, some of the best snow is. I'm not a tootle around on the green run kind of guy. And as I'm going through these down the slope yesterday, it's like, man, okay, here I am pushing my limits, obstacles in the way, going around them. Sometimes I fall, sometimes I hit the tree, but I get up and I go again. And it's like, well, that's just, that's how I need to continue to approach this, this mental injury of mine and some of these, these, these obstacles I have in the way of getting my WCB claim accepted. I just need to keep, keep going and down these black runs and hitting it and, but getting up and going again. It's just, it, that was that analogy that came into my mind yesterday. Just, just keep, just yeah. keep your feet moving and don't quit. It's just so, it's just a, such a tricky thing with these mental injuries to want to open up and, and, and go for what you know is going to be more difficulty and pain. But Hey, if we want challenges in life, I guess that's part of the package too. You know, if we want to be stronger, well, there's going to be some, some burdens to carry or, or, or hurdles thrown in our way, but got to keep hitting them. For people in fire departments uh, that are running fire departments, um, if you had one thing to to say to them about how to treat their people, what would you say to them? I would say treat everybody the way you wanted to be treated yourself. I think we were taught that in grade one. <laughs> yeah, just be decent. And yeah. and recognize that, uh, yeah, that, that fire department, it's it belongs to a community. It's team effort. There's uh, There's no I in department. <laughs> it's about everybody being on the same team, same family. Unless you misspell it terribly, <laughs> yeah. which would be embarrassing. Yeah. But it just it just just seems so ironic that there's there we were at the Broncos accident, a team where you look at Darcy um, Darcy Hogan's core covenant. It's all about being a good person. What he was teaching that the players and the influence he was making on life. So there's this team that very very good for the world what they were doing, and then in the end, one of the fire departments showed a complete lack of integrity and concern for others. And it was just, it's kind of, it's so ironic that that's the way things went, but um, maybe, maybe that's part of, you know, I look at, I look at the the magnitude of the Broncos accident. Um, and, and I look at some of the work that the families have been doing as far as making, making the road safer and, 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 and the mandatory, the training for truck drivers now, like they, they did, they had they had to push hard through their own tough times to make the world you know to make things better. So I, I realized my role now is to to do the same, just at the first responder level. For people that are scared to reach out for help, that are worried about the stigma, it being a career ender, how do you see them using this show as a tool? Oh, it. I think um, this is this is a great option because if you are in it, I've come to realize that, yeah, that stigma is out there no matter what the literature says or no matter what an employer is, is promoting. Yeah. Regardless yeah. of the poster on the wall yeah. <laughs> yeah. or the news announcement for whatever funding for psychological support and this and that. But yeah, I think, I think for this show will be great because it's airtight. Nobody needs to know what you're listening to when you're working out of the gym or sipping your morning coffee. And, and this is, this is a great form of peer support and accessible. Any time of day that that someone wants to tune in, and and yeah, it, it's a good thing, and and every listener just would know that they're not the only one. They are truly connected to to so many other people who are on the same same page. Uh, I asked earlier, but I don't know if I got an answer. Um, have there been tangible, practical tools that you've taken from the show that you've been able to implement into your life? Yeah. I, I just can't think. That's okay. I can't think. I put fast. you under the bus. It's all right. I don't think as fast as I used to. <laughs> um, um, yeah, just just listening to, to to some of the things that everyone else says, the same struggles they've had about about suicidal thoughts and whatnot, and and getting through it, and just just seeing that that light, never giving so up on that the, light. What, what what I've heard from you is the show through the show you found a sense of connection. And that connection is healing. Does that sum it up? That that's that's bang on, Mark. And I mean, it's that 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 power of being together. I mean, that's what we're wired for is connection. And then this this show really gives gave me that. Um, this is a guy who was in a tough spot and needed it, and not a big internet savvy kind of guy, or never listened to podcasts before. But this one I latched onto, and it was just what I needed. 
and uh, I, I recommend it to everybody that I that I run into that that knows about it or, or need could 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 benefit. Well, it's uh, stories like that that keep it going, and why I'm not going to quit anytime soon. <laughs> Just keep on and going. But thank you for joining me today uh, to come to the studio to my home and uh, joining me to be a guest to, to share your story today. Yeah, well, thank you, Mark. And it's interesting. I hear I hear you army guys talk about when you got out and 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 whatnot, and you know you know getting out of the army. But I look at what you're doing today. I look at so much of what what some of these other you know veterans that are doing to make a difference and help um and and not just other veterans but to to be bringing the the first responders into your umbrella and now i guess a volunteer firefighter that really that really (laughs) opens up uh, opens up the doors or permission for a lot of others to to feel and and get in on on this discussion but yeah you 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 consider yourself all selves out but i say fuck that you guys are still in you're still serving this country thank you well thank you and and i'm glad that I've, it's funny, within the, the different first responder communities, everybody uh, want, either wants to outdo uh, the other, to say, my, you know, what I do is tougher than what you do, or they diminish themselves. It's, it's one of the two, t- typically. But we're all in the same boat, whether you were a soldier on, <laughs> uh, in a war zone or first responder. It, it's all the same. It's, it's a different modality. It's, you know, there's, there's differences. But um, one is not, they're all trauma-rich environments. And it's all about, are you hurt or aren't you? If you are, let's heal. And we have the same injuries. And it it doesn't matter how you got them. You know, and everyone has a different, that's that's not argued. Everyone has a different skill set, different personalities that, yeah, there are um, some that are, going to be in different lines of work whether it's it's flying an f-18 and doing back rolls or whatever or the volunteer firefighter farmer like me um we all have that personality where we want to help people there's just different ways we're going to go about it but we're all on the same team wanting to make the world a better place 100 percent, nathan nathan thank you for being here brother thank you you're listening to operation tango romeo the trauma recovery podcast for veterans first responders and their families Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow and if there's an option there for rating please do so and this is why every time you click like leave a rating leave a comment what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast the help that you can't find doesn't help at all so help other people find this so that they can help themselves thank you thank you thank you and as always share share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring